Hello and welcome to Across the River, a podcast that weaves together death and dying, tarot, and witchcraft. I'm Rebecca. And I'm Sarah. We are not experts of any kind, simply two witches who like to think and talk about death, dying, and divination. We invite you to journey with us across the river. We are recording across the river in Toronto, Ontario, also known as Tecoronto. The land that holds this city is and has been for millennia a home to many diverse First Nations and Indigenous, Inuit, and Métis peoples, including the Mississaugas of the Credit, the Anishinaabe, the Chippewa, the Haudenosaunee, and the Wendat peoples. The land teaches us about the cycles of birth, death, decay, and rebirth. We're grateful for the opportunity to live in and learn from this land. Hey, Rebecca. Hi, Sarah. How's it going today? Good. How are you? I am excited that we are recording on Friday the 13th. I am very excited. (laughs) (laughs) When we realized that was coming up, we were like, are we gonna? Yeah, we are. (laughs) We are. And Rebecca braved the snow that we're, the snowstorm we're having right now to get here so that we could record on Friday the 13th. It's not too bad. It's actually really beautiful and it's a nice change from, it's still gray, but it's been gray pretty much all month. It has been. Yeah. And that's been kind of rough. So if it's going to be gray, at least it is snowing prettily right now yes and the light is actually reflecting off the snow so it is and i don't know if you've noticed but the days are longer they are getting longer they are even though we're not seeing a lot of the sun it is going down later and i'm starting to notice it so we're we're beginning to turn that corner which is very nice welcome very welcome yes Absolutely very welcome. Mm-hmm. So today we thought we would broach a topic that we sort of mentioned in our first episode. Mm-hmm. Um, Rebecca and I are both hospice volunteers. We volunteer with a visiting hospice and we thought we would sit down and have a conversation about it today. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think this is a subject that maybe people don't necessarily... Um, always learn about until they're sort of faced with decision making around it. Mm-hmm. Um, and as as I think with with most topics pertaining to death and dying and end of life, there's maybe a bit of an aversion to, you know, it's something that who wants to think about illness, right? Who wants to think about needing care? And so I think that's something that it's easy to sort of say, oh, I'm not going to learn any. I don't want to hear about that or. Mm-hmm. Um, just to have it not come up it's not something that comes up casually so we thought maybe we would talk a little bit about um broadly speaking what it is like to volunteer in that capacity and maybe a little bit just generally about like what hospice palliative care is Mm -hmm. um and maybe a little bit also about what it's not yeah yeah and I think we could talk a little bit too about what brought us to I think we've already touched on this a little bit but uh yeah, what brought us to hospice Exactly, yeah. Because um, it's, you know, it's people come to it for all kinds of reasons, and usually there's a, an intriguing reason why someone is, is interested in moving into this area, so we can talk a little bit about that. Um, before we started recording, you and I both did say, and we want to make sure that we are clear on the podcast that neither of us here is speaking as a representative of any organization, right? Mm -hmm. We're not representing the organization we volunteer for. 
We're not representing any of the hospice organizations here in Canada or in Ontario. We're mm-hmm. really speaking here just as individuals. So we're going to be speaking personally from our own experience. Um, and we're also obviously, um, you know, we have pretty strict confidentiality requirements. So we're not yes. going to be discussing any um, actual people that we've worked with, but we're going to be talking more broadly about like what it's like for us to be volunteers Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. what the work entails. Yeah, we probably will have to speak a little carefully around mm-hmm. certain subjects. Um, so please bear with us if we end up tiptoeing a little bit. But yeah, the confidentiality yeah. is really important. Absolutely. And it's a really central part, actually, of what makes this kind of care even possible. So we're going to mm-hmm. be really, really respectful of that. Um, and, you know, <laughs> worst case, we can edit something out if we have to. But we're going to yes. try and just be very, be very, choose our words with care. Mm-hmm. Um, so... I wonder if we also want to briefly mention something that you and I talked about off mic the other time, the last time we recorded, mm-hmm. which was around um, content notes or content warnings. And yes, yeah, um, we've been sort of wondering if we should be offering any kind of content warnings on this podcast. And, mm-hmm. and I think maybe we both agree that probably the whole show would need a content warning. <laughs> We do, I mean, we straight up say we will be talking about death in this podcast, Um, but we were kind of thinking, and I think um, for this episode, we will put together a list of resources for anyone, Um, because if you're listening to this podcast and you're going through something yourself, um, we really hope that this content is more helpful than it is triggering, but um, Yeah. yeah, I guess general content warning we will be talking about death end of life Mm -hmm. Um, in this podcast we're going to be talking about caregiving which i know is something that many people may have experienced and that can be a very very difficult experience mm -hmm. so maybe there's something that you have been through in the past that was difficult so we just want to make sure we are aware that we're talking about subjects that may remind listeners of something difficult they have experienced or are experiencing Mm -hmm. you know I think as we've said before neither of us is a mental health professional no that is really important that is important to say we're not um you know we're we're speaking about you know things we've done in a volunteer capacity and we're sort of speaking as as non-expert lay people who are engaging in this terrain but we are going to try and offer um a list of resources that you can hopefully investigate on your own and access if you feel like something in this podcast makes you want to reach out for some support. Um, we hope that that will be helpful to you and just, yeah, general content note for the whole show. Yes. <laughs> Probably every episode <laughs> is going to deal with subject matter that um, may be difficult, but I think that we both feel like it's important to create space for that subject matter as well. I think that obviously we hope that you engage with this in a way um, that is safe and comfortable for you. Um, But I really do think that there can also be uh, a lot of benefit from opening up that space and having these conversations and not um, just putting uh, whatever it might be, death in a corner uh, and sort of trying to pretend it isn't there. Exactly. Um, You know, there's there's a lot of growth to be found in discomfort. Um, is that what I mean? That's not quite what I mean. I might edit that back out. But no, I I, 
I think I understand what you're saying there. I think, but it's important if we're finding growth and discomfort just to recognize our thresholds yeah. for what is uncomfortable versus what is maybe harmful. Yeah, exactly. And it's going to be different for everybody at different times and mm-hmm. um, you know yourself best. So that is our general top of show content warning. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and so, you know, with that out of the way now, maybe we'll hop right into it and maybe I'll ask you to, to start with, would you want to just sort of say a little bit about what hospice palliative care is as you understand it? Uh, as I understand it, um, yeah, so hospice palliative care is pretty much a broad spectrum of medical and, um, in our case, Uh, Mm non-medical care um, provided to someone who has either a life-limiting or a life-threatening diagnosis. Yes. Uh, Would be the the, uh, answer to that one. Um, And what we do is kind of, it's part of that. Um, It's a little bit, it's it's adjacent to the medical care, of course. It's um, neither of us are doctors or nurses or anything like that. Um, and that's actually really interesting. Um, both Rebecca and I volunteer for the same organization and in their training, um, they were really specific about the kind of care that we are able to offer and the kind of care that we are not able to offer. So for instance, as non-medical professionals, and even if you were a medical profession, but you were in a volunteer role, um, you are not allowed under any circumstances to, um, pass someone a bottle of pills or touch any medical equipment or um, even uh, it's hard to think about but if someone took a fall for instance you would be calling uh, emergency services and trying to make them comfortable but you wouldn't be like helping them off the floor yourself yeah Um, and I've been thinking about this a lot recently Um, boundaries I guess are something that's been on my mind and navigating those when you are in a very specific role that has very specific do's and don'ts. Um, For instance, my client does not even know my last name Mm -hmm. and it's something I'm trying to navigate a little bit. Um, I, I was talking with my therapist the other day about this and it kind of finally clicked for me that like I am someone who forms deep intimate relationships with a small number of people. Um, I am never been the kind of person that has like a whole bunch of acquaintances. Um, and it is such an interesting position to be in as a volunteer because of the situation and the time that you spend with the person, things do become very intimate very Mm -hmm. quickly and a bond forms. And it's tricky sometimes to feel like you're not able to fully share yourself. Um, I think what I said to my therapist was to the effect of, it almost feels disrespectful to that intimacy Hmm. um and and it isn't it is actually quite respectful of um of them of yourself but I don't know that feeling was kind of something that I've been pondering lately uh and I went on a bit of a tangent there but um 
Yeah, I would love, um, is there anything that that brings up for you? Yeah, um, and I sort of think there are no tangents in this conversation. Like, <laughs> you know, it's going to go where it's going to go. Neither of us has any notes for this one. Um, we, we're, we're winging it. <laughs> we're we're going to let it be organic. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you're bringing up a really interesting point about doing this kind of volunteering. So when you are volunteering for an organization, um, we're both... We're both pretty. You get you get quite a lot of training. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of training involved. It's pretty intensive. Mm-hmm. It's um, I don't remember exactly how many weeks of training there is, but it's something like thirty hours of training or yes. something like that. You um, did it in person. I, I did, did it in it person online, yeah. um, and it it took me probably about a month to finish it. I yeah. think um, maybe even longer than that. Yeah. The training is quite intensive and the training invites you to engage with your own feelings about death and mortality mm-hmm. and about illness and about caregiving and about what your capacities are and are not. So you've mm-hmm. already identified some big ones. Um, when we are volunteering with a client, we, as you said, we can't engage in any kind of medical mm-hmm. anything, even mm-hmm. handing someone their medication that they are already prescribed cannot do. Nope. Nope. Um, that has to be done by a medical professional or by the, that person's, mm-hmm. you know, caregiver. Yeah. Um, but I think what you're starting to talk about that is maybe the more interesting question is what our interpersonal role is with the people we are serving. Mm-hmm. And that is, um, Something that we certainly talk about in training, but also then something that we kind of have to come to an understanding of and negotiate within ourselves. So just to say a little bit more about what is actually happening when we are volunteering with someone. As you said, it's a the organization that we are associated with is a visiting hospice, and that means that generally speaking, people are in their own homes. They're receiving primary care from a caregiver, whether that be a family member or a, a professional caregiver, usually it's family. Um, and we go out for about um, more or less kind of a four-hour shift a week. Mm-hmm. That is the time that we, ha- you know, offer. And when that time is up, we then leave. Yeah. And so that's one one way in which the the boundary is sort of established. But while we are there, we are. F- we're sort of filling a variety of potential roles mm-hmm. and it's going to vary from client to client. Mm-hmm. Um, some of what we can do are practical things like we can help with meal preparation. We can help with grocery shopping. We can help with housekeeping things that that person may need in order to continue to reside in their own home that they're no longer able to do themselves. Mm -hmm. That's something that we can help with. Um, But a lot of what we end up doing, and I, this is sounds to me from what you've shared about your experiences that this is consistent for you as well. A lot of what we are doing is just being with Mm -hmm. being present, providing company and presence. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And that is, I think the aspect of the work that most drew me into it, mm-hmm. um, because we're kind of a very, we're in a very unique position in the life of 
the person we're serving, mm-hmm. the, the client. Um, we're not a doctor. We're not a nurse. Our objective is not to treat their illness or mm-hmm. prolong their life. We are not friends mm-hmm. and we are not family. Mm-hmm. Um, nor are we, you know, a, a priest or a spiritual care provider or a therapist or any of those roles. We're sort of something a little bit different. Mm-hmm. We are a, a human being who is not otherwise attached to them or their life mm-hmm. except through this volunteer and client relationship. Mm-hmm. And sometimes what that means is that we are a pretty neutral ear. And the other thing I think that we that we can offer is that we are there explicitly because that person is dying. Yes. And I think that there's something very important about that fact. Mm-hmm. The only reason we're in their life is because they are dying. So mm-hmm. they know that we know that they are dying. Mm-hmm. That is the basis of our relationship. And that means sometimes that people can talk with us about dying mm-hmm. in a way that can be more difficult potentially for a family member or a friend. Mm-hmm. And that is when that happens, that's a very, very privileged, privileged space to be in um, and a great honor. Mm-hmm. And to be to be clear that doesn't always happen no <laughs> sometimes you don't talk about it ever at, at all, at all. Yeah. sometimes you talk about you know how the leafs are doing mm-hmm. like it's not that yeah. every it's not that this is some you know automatically you're in some sort of sacred otherworldly space where you're talking about the nature of life and death and it's very very serious and important mm-hmm. most of the time it's it's it not a lot of the time Quite a bit of the time. Yeah, Yeah, I have found anyway. Yeah, no, exactly that. And so we're sort of there, you know, there's a lot that we're offering that's practical. Um, Sometimes what we're there for is to give full-time caregivers a break. Yes. A chance to have a cup of coffee and sit down for a while, a chance Mm -hmm. to get out, a chance to do the shopping. Go to the um, office. Go to the office. Um, maybe even do something for themselves, like go to a movie, mm-hmm. um, just to, you know, provide some respite care. That's a lot of, of what we're offering. Um, but you do form a very distinctive kind of bond, um, with, with people that you're working with. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's a relationship like no other that I, I have ever had in my life anyway. Yeah. Yeah. We both find it very rewarding, I think it's safe to say. Incredibly rewarding. And the other thing that I I want to make sure that I mention um, is that I think if you're not accustomed to being in that space or thinking about that space, you might assume that it's heavy or depressing. Mm-hmm. And that has not been my experience. Huh. It has been mine mm. very occasionally, but more than that, quite the opposite. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I I like the way that you just put that because it's not to say that it is never sad mm-hmm. or that it is never heavy. Mm-hmm. Um, it is and it can be. Yeah. 
but um, at least when I started, I think everyone that I told about it who isn't involved in this kind of sphere at all uh, went, oh, that sounds so hard. I could never do that. Right. I could never do that, I think, yes. is one of the things that I hear the most. And yeah. that is really interesting to me because mm-hmm. I bet you could, <laughs> I, is what I want to say. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, no, completely. It's so funny. I think that's probably... and. Uh, from the few other volunteers that I've talked to, um, getting to know them during a pandemic has not been super easy, but, um, yeah, there's always this, um, when they told their family Mm -hmm. or when they told their friends, that reaction was really ubiquitous. Um, and I think, I think rewarding is maybe even not a strong enough word for what this experience is. I think it can be life altering. Yeah. Um, I think it can be, and, and it's tricky because I, I am currently in a space right now. Um, and we've talked about this a little bit Mm -hmm. off, off microphone where I am starting to feel grief, Mm -hmm. uh, anticipatory grief. And I am figuring out how to navigate that and to make sure that it is held in a space that is appropriate and Mm -hmm. not brought into spaces where it is not appropriate. Um, as in my interactions with my clients. Yeah. Um, so I won't say that it's easy. No. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Um, maybe we're trying to convince you here a little bit to think about <laughs> it, but, um, just everything that I, I, I remember for a really long time thinking that, I got so much more out of this than my client did. And that that's starting to change a little bit. I'm starting to realize my own value in that relationship um, and how much I am providing. But I still feel like it's uneven. I still feel like really at the end of the day, I get, oh, just so much out of this experience um, that uh, I never would have even kind of conceived of until I started doing it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I haven't really... Um, been doing it for all that long it's been about seven months now Mm -hmm. um but yeah it's just uh yeah rewarding (laughs) as you were as you were looking for the right words and you settled on life altering there's a part of me that wants to to take that up and even go so far as to say it is life giving or enlivening oh I love that to be that present with another person mm-hmm. and to have the privilege of learning from um, in my training they would often sort of use the phrasing of you're you're walking beside them on this path for a while mm-hmm. we can't walk all the way to the end of the path with them mm-hmm. and we can't walk the path for them mm-hmm. but we are walking beside them on this particular leg of the journey and I think that's a, a pretty good metaphor for what's happening but it deepens my life to spend time with people as they approach the end of theirs mm-hmm. and one thing that I am learning is how to be with someone who is dying I think that even the people who have said to us oh I couldn't do that may one day be called upon to do so mm-hmm. in fact Many, if not most of us, at some point may be called upon to be with someone who is at the end of their life, whether that be a family member or a friend or in some other capacity, Mm -hmm. but most commonly, you know, a family member. Mm -hmm. 
And when I was doing my training, one of the things that, that we discussed in class was that even if people don't continue in the volunteer role for forever, you know, even if you stop volunteering, this training is actually something that is not just about this, although it can be about this, but um, it can help us learn how to be in the presence of death. Mm-hmm. It can help us learn how to listen to other people. Yes. That's a huge part of what is happening. And that doesn't, that's not specific to the territory around death. Mm-hmm. How to listen is something that can deepen every aspect of your life. Yes. Yeah. Um, that was actually, <laughs> I think one of my favorite parts of the training yeah. was there was a whole unit on communication skills and, um, you're exactly right. I think it's really important to have that foundation when you're with your client, but that will deepen and richen every relationship that you have. Absolutely. Um, and I find myself wanting to pick up the thread that you offered a moment ago about grief. Okay, yeah. And the, the grief that we might experience as volunteers. Mm-hmm. And to maybe offer that that too can almost be enlivening in a way. I think when we experience grief, it can be a signal to us that we have been richly involved in an experience of connection. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. That makes complete sense. And yeah, it's interesting because even though I am going through that experience right now and I am anticipating deeper grief Mm -hmm. at some point, um, I don't regret that grief. No. Yeah. Um, I don't think either of us is thinking to ourselves, I would be better off if I hadn't experienced this grief or if I hadn't put myself in a situation where I'm going to experience this grief Mm -hmm. it's almost also a privilege I don't I don't know if that's exactly the does that make sense yeah I'm like nodding vigorously over here which is like bad radio (laughs) but (laughs) um yes I I think boy here I go. I'm going to try and like come up with a thought that's only half formed in my brain. I Do think it. you're right. I think, I think the idea that grief is a privilege is um, a good way to... It, it, that's a wonderful way to put it. Mm-hmm. Because it means that you have connected with another person. Mm-hmm. And that you've given something of yourself to another person and they've mm-hmm. given something to you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, We've impacted each other's lives in, yes. I think, sometimes a really deep way. And... The grief is not the consequence of that. It's just part of the experience. Absolutely. And I seem to remember last episode you saying something to the effect of um, how grief can almost crack open our hearts. And that grief can crack open our hearts and deepen our capacity to love. Mm-hmm. Um, it's this beautiful cycle we love and then in some sh- way, shape or form that changes and we experience grief and that makes us even readier, more ready and more capable of loving 
again when that comes up. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that's just a really beautiful side benefit. (laughs) Yeah, it's hard to know how to talk about it, isn't it? Um, I find that too a real challenge, like talking about these subjects because within my own self, I do want to be careful when I'm speaking with other people about this work that I don't want to romanticize it, right? And Mm -hmm. you're not doing that and I don't think I'm doing that. But Mm -hmm. just, you know, in case you're listening and thinking, you know, we're really making this sound like <laughs> like it's all like sparkly fairies or whatever. Like it's, we're not, we're often with people when they're just going through an absolutely dreadful time in their life. Mm-hmm. That's a reality. Yep. We come in for four hours a week, mm-hmm. but there's someone there who's there 24 yes. seven. And there is the client who is going through the experience of usually illness, mm-hmm. um, sometimes pain, um, sometimes distress, emotional or physical. Um, and so it's uh, it, it's not like we're always sort of in this kind of wonderful space of exchange and sharing. Sometimes sometimes people are exhausted, yeah. they're afraid, they're, they're grieving. frustrated, yeah. Yeah. So there is an aspect that can be intimidating about the work. I know I felt that to be intimidating when I first began to think, well... I'm going into a stranger's home. Mm-hmm. I don't know the dynamic of them, their family, mm-hmm. their what I know nothing about what they are like. We have very limited information. You know, we kind of have like a broad sense of what kind of illness they may be experiencing, and mm-hmm. you know, some very very general knowledge, and that's about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's, it's possible that you may be entering into a situation. In fact, it's inevitable. You're entering a situation where people are having very strong emotions. Mm -hmm. Your client is experiencing something they've never experienced before. They are dying. They Mm -hmm. haven't done that before. Nope. Their family may or may not have had the experience of someone close to them dying, but they haven't experienced this specific person dying. Mm -hmm. So they're having a different experience. Yep. And that impending death really brings into relief all family dynamics, mm-hmm. all family history, all unresolved questions, mm-hmm. all unresolved issues, all unsaid words. And sometimes those words can be said, sometimes they can't be said. Um, sometimes things can be resolved, sometimes they can't be resolved. Part of maybe what you were speaking to earlier with regard to boundaries is sort of knowing where our role is in all of that. Yes, we are not family therapists. Nope, we are not. <laughs> Even if we think we can see clearly, like, yeah. you guys need to have a conversation about this. That's no. not our place to give that advice. It um, Actually, one of the things that they really drilled into us mm-hmm. in the training was like, you don't give advice. It's not your place. Um, and obviously, and not obviously, often not well received anyway. Yeah. Um, but you are in those situations, you are really someone who can bear witness more than Mm -hmm. anything else. Um, and, uh, I think with the particular organization that we work with, we might be able to pass that on to the care team, uh, if it was appropriate. Um, Yeah. But like this, this, this family might need support in this particular way. Um, so it's not like we can do absolutely nothing, but when we're there, yeah, we're not a mediator. We're not a therapist. We're, we're a volunteer. Mm -hmm. And that is, 
there are a lot of very strict and important boundaries Absolutely. around that role. Yeah, I think you're pointing at something important, which is that the boundaries are not there to be obstructive. Mm-hmm. They're actually really necessary for the work to proceed. Yes. Yeah. No, I have been so thankful for um, having that been clearly laid out for me from the very beginning. Yeah. Um, because, and, and they're not just for the client too. They are just as important for us Yes. to make sure that we are not overtaxing ourselves, not getting burnt out, not getting so deeply involved with the client that things become blurry Mm -hmm. and, you know, we might find ourselves in a position where we've done something that we really were not supposed to do or, you know, for a variety of different reasons, those boundaries protect us just as much as they protect the client. Absolutely. Um, And I found that when I was doing my training very comforting. I found that really reassuring to have it very Mm -hmm. clear about what was and was not within my own scope of practice. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and you're right. I think, you know, my experience with the organization we volunteer with is that the support of the volunteers is wonderful. Oh my gosh. We feel really backed up and supported by them. Mm -hmm. And as you said, if there is something that is really concerning to us, like if Mm -hmm. we are perceiving a great deal of, um, you know, strife or difficulty within the -hmm. family or emotional distress beyond um, or is impacting quality of life in a way that's that's too much, mm-hmm. we can talk to our client care coordinators and say, this family might benefit from, mm-hmm. um, from mediation or from counseling or from uh, spiritual care. Mm-hmm. There's a spiritual care practitioner on the team at the organization that, yes. that can go out and you know work with clients if they're experiencing spiritual distress. Um, so there are other resources, and, and I think part of what you're pointing to is like knowing when we can point, you know, when we can maybe advise the organization to offer some other resources that can be helpful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that is available. Yeah. Um, but I, I do find, and maybe you find this too, that there is a lot that can be offered just listening and bearing witness. Yes is maybe more of a gift than is immediately apparent. I completely agree with that. Yeah, I think... I think about for myself when I'm really going through it. I'm not looking for someone to tell me how to fix it. I'm looking for someone to just hear me, really hear me, um, when I express frustration, rage, grief, whatever it is. Um... Sometimes you go to a very specific person who is the person that you want to hear advice from, but a lot of the time you just really need to be witnessed. And I think that that can be on its own so healing. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I try to remember that I can bring that into that space. Yeah. I think that's one of the most important things we can bring Mm -hmm. is to be someone that can listen Mm -hmm. and sometimes the client will take you up on that unspoken offer sometimes they won't sometimes they won't and I'm saying unspoken because I don't think I've ever directly said to anyone I'm here to listen or would it help to talk about it Mm -hmm. I don't think those words have ever passed my lips Mm -hmm. I generally try to let whoever I'm with 
direct the flow and tenor of the interaction. Mm-hmm. And so if I show up and they say, amazing hockey game last night, mm-hmm. I'm like, oh yeah, did we score? How did it go? What was the score? If I show up and they're quiet, I am quiet. And mm-hmm. if I show up and they say something like, um, you know, and I'm speaking really hypothetically here. I'm really not talking about anyone I have actually worked with. Yeah. Um, but you know, sometimes someone, sometimes someone will make a little offer to see if you're up for it. Mm-hmm. They might say something like, um, you know, they might say something like, I wonder who I should give this item to, yes. you know, I wonder who I should give this China dish to, or I wonder who I should give this necklace to. Mm-hmm. And they're throwing out a little feeler to say, I'm alluding to the fact that I'm dying soon. Mm-hmm. Are you good to talk about that? Yep. And so then if you can pick that up and say, um, well, you know, what are you, what are you thinking of? Who are you considering, you know, you might offer it to? Mm-hmm. What you're saying then is, um, I'm open to this conversation. I'm open to this conversation. You're telling me something about... You're telling me right now that you're thinking about the people you love after you've died. And mm-hmm. you're imagining maybe this bracelet or whatever it is on the hand of your daughter mm-hmm. or whoever, you know, whatever situation it is that you're considering. Mm-hmm. And um, it may be that if the client says to the daughter, I'm thinking about who to give my bracelet to, sometimes... They're not able to fully engage with that. Sometimes they're not. Yeah. Sometimes they might say, oh, mom, I don't want to talk about that right now. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, you know, give it to whoever you want or, mm-hmm. um, or I want it. <laughs> or, you know, there can, be, there can be various kinds of things that are difficult about that. Yeah. But if they say it to you, sometimes they're saying, I'm, I'm worried about my daughter after I die. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I want to talk about that. And yeah. so... And sometimes they only want to talk about it for a very short while and then they mm-hmm. move to something else yep. and you let that happen. So I, mm-hmm. I, I try very much to be a, very aware of what it is that I'm responding with when I'm with someone to mm-hmm. try and be pretty clear that I'm not angling to move the, the conversation in any specific direction. Yeah, you're really taking your cues from the client. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but you're really speaking to something important that we are able to offer, which is that we're in that particular situation, no matter what we're actually feeling about it, we are neutral ground. Absolutely. Um, we are someone who we're not family. Like you said, we're not, well, we probably are invested, but in that space, we have to be sure that we are not indicating that we are invested. Um, sorry, when I said that, I mean like we probably are invested to a degree, but yeah. Um, can you say more? I have some thoughts about that too, but can yeah. you? I don't want to like jump in on top of you. Do you want to like unpack that a little bit more? Yeah, yeah. I guess. How do I want to put this? It is inevitable that you begin to care. Yeah. It is inevitable that you begin to... I will admit this, um, and I have varied feelings about it, but again, I just happen to have been talking with my therapist about this very recently. I have reached the point where I have realized that I 
don't want my client to die. Mm -hmm. And I am also at peace with the fact that they are going to die. Um, and it's not like I'm holding both of those things, but I have to leave those things outside of it. Yeah. I have to be very aware of what my emotions are and how to, yeah, just not bring them into that space because they don't, I mean, for a variety of different reasons, but they don't need another person who is going to grieve them. Mm-hmm. or who is grieving them. They mm-hmm. don't need another person who is, they have their family, they have their friends. Um, I, again, like we said, am in a very specific role there. And and I think that is the part that I am finding the most difficult mm-hmm. about this experience at the moment. Um, uh, Rebecca, you have... Um, Without getting into too many details, you have you're on your third client now. Uh, second. Second. Yeah. I'm still with my first mm-hmm. client. Um, I am going through this journey, the same as not the same as, but I am also going through this journey, and it's all very new to me. Um, so when I did start to realize that I was feeling anticipatory grief for this, I had. I had to figure out how to process that on my own. Well, not on my own. Uh, mm-hmm. I've talked to you about it. I've talked to my husband, my therapist. Um, but I mm. I am not going to even bring that into that space because, um, yeah, it's just, it's not my place. It's not what the relationship is. Um, and there are very good reasons for that. Mm-hmm. Um, but you had something to say as well. Oh, no, I'm just, I mean, I'm listening to you speak. Thank you for like being willing to go into that a little bit more because Mm -hmm. it's very, um, it's like a vulnerable place to be in, but I think you're sort of like getting to the heart of part of what's so nuanced about doing this. Mm -hmm. I'm really noticing like the level of self-awareness that you are speaking of, the kind of self-awareness that you are cultivating within yourself in order to do the work, I think is one of the gifts of doing this work. I think so too. It really asks you to be aware of and Mm -hmm. look within yourself yep um as you're experiencing these emotions and i think you're doing a i i really like the way you're articulating both that it's inevitable that you come to care for this other human that you're spending so much time with and 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 in a relationship within which a kind of intimacy can develop Mm -hmm. Mm mm-hmm around which there are really clear boundaries. Mm-hmm. And um, what I'm hearing you say is that the one thing we can't do is ask something of our client. Mm-hmm. You, we yes. can't ask our clients to comfort us about their death. Gosh, no. Yeah. And, uh, um, you know, for me, like, that's that's where a pretty hard boundary forms. And I think maybe yeah. that's a little bit what you're pointing to as well, that if you're in that space... Mm-hmm. It's really nuanced, isn't it? Because I suspect that my clients have known that I would grieve for them. We've never talked about it, but Mm -hmm. it would be unusual for me not to um, because of the bond that forms. Mm -hmm. However, I also think, I hope, that they have been very clear that 
I'm going to be okay. Yes. And that um, I will feel sadness but will not be, um, you know, devastated by mm-hmm. their death because of the boundaries that we've put in place, right? Yes. I think that's part of what the boundary is for. Even though sometimes um, we talked about in training, you know, what you do if your client seems to want more than you can offer you know that maybe they want to talk Mm -hmm. to you on the phone or they want you to come over more or they want you to mediate a dispute or something that's outside the scope of our practice Mm -hmm. um that can arise and I think you know our training has been like really helpful in Mm -hmm. thinking through how we would encounter that if if we needed to but um but I do think that one thing that the boundary offers the client is a degree of remove mm-hmm. so that you are not someone that they have to worry about. That's exactly what I was thinking. Uh, again, I'm a inside out person. So when I think about the fact that if I were dying, how, what would be the hardest part for me? Mm. How my loved ones would get along after I had passed. Yeah. Um, and the last thing they need is one more person to worry about mm-hmm. in that way. Yeah. Yeah, and that's, I think, a big part of what that boundary is for. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <sighs> that is my cat. I really, actually, sincerely <laughs> hope the microphone picks that up. I and if it too. did, I'm leaving it in. Oh my gosh, I have <laughs> fingers crossed. That's very funny, and I really <laughs> hope that that cat is on our podcast. <laughs> He does not like closed doors. That's even really a little bit. <laughs> it's like just exquisite timing. <laughs> that's really wonderful. Oh, um, so wonderful. Yeah, yeah. that's a delight. Mm-hmm. Um, there's one other element that I kind of wanted to bring in that I don't think we've quite... Appro- we've maybe like skated by it, but mm-hmm. like... Um, one thing that I was thinking about on the way over here is like perceptions of palliative care and like oh yes I don't know if you've encountered this and I can't quite I don't like have a specific example in mind but I do feel like I've heard I've heard people speak about palliative care in a way that is um you know resistant like mm-hmm. I'm trying to think of a way to sort of sum up the the sense that I mean something like Mm-hmm. You know, I feel like I've heard people sort of say like, oh, she's basically palliative at this point, you know, like in a sort of, you know, I don't know if yeah. you've encountered that too. Yeah, I've heard that one too. Um, and so like, I kind of want to take this opportunity to say that palliative care is a life enriching yes. offering. Yes. Um, you want it. Mm-hmm. You want your loved ones to have it. Yes. <laughs> um, it is not giving people the bare minimum and waiting for them to die. It is making sure that people have the op- the option to live as richly in- as possible within the scope of what's available to them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, it's yeah. going to look different for everybody depending on what their illness is, what stage of that illness they are in, their circumstances. But what, what palliative care is, is offering, the intention of it, is to allow people to live as fully as possible with dignity, um, with their whole selves mm-hmm. for as long as is possible, ideally until the moment they die. Yes. 
Yeah, and I'm remembering now one thing from the training, which is that, and I mean, I don't know if, how much this matters even, but I think they've done studies and they do find that people who are receiving palliative care generally do live a little bit longer. Uh, am I remembering that yeah, correctly? Yeah, I think that's correct. And and I also think that when they try to establish like quality of life. That is the more important yeah. one, I think. Yes, yeah. Um, after a certain point, someone is dying. And if they can have the fullest life that is possible for them up until that point, um, that's what palliative care really is offering. Yeah. Yeah. Um, With all sorts of different supports. Yes. Um, the, again, we won't name it, but the organization that we work for, I think, yeah, like you said, they have a spiritual counselor on hand. They have um, a whole host of volunteers. Yeah, they, have, they have a huge amount of volunteers. They have social workers. Yes. Um, all sorts of people in various different roles that can really be helpful to the person and also to their family unit, which mm. the other thing that they really emphasized um, was that we are treating a whole family here because the family is so critical to mm-hmm. that person's quality of life. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. The family is the system within which that person is existing. And yep. um, palliative care intends to meet all of the needs of the, of the client, mm-hmm. not just their physical needs in terms of managing pain or symptoms, mm-hmm. but their emotional and spiritual and mental mm-hmm. needs as well. And yep. when it is, when it's done right, um, it really can allow this period at end of life to be a time, um, it can be a time of growth, it can be a time of transformation, it can be a time of healing, mm-hmm. it can be a time of connection. Mm-hmm. If the needs of the client are being met such that those things are possible. possible. If their needs are not being met, mm-hmm. then those things are very difficult. Yeah. But what palliative care aims to do is meet those needs so that the mm-hmm. whole person mm-hmm. can, I'm going to say thrive, which is a, you know, I know I think that's the right word. And it's for the it. right word. And I think you and I have both observed mm-hmm. that, um, at the end of their life, people can still thrive and live richly very richly, sometimes more richly than we're doing. Yes, sometimes with a great deal of clarity mm-hmm. and perception and foresight that allows them to... I have heard a lot of gratitude from dying people. Mm-hmm. I've heard a lot of dying people say, I'm so grateful mm-hmm. that they're alive that day, that they mm-hmm. have the people in their life that they you know, got to experience this birthday or this Christmas, you know, the, when we were training, one of the things that I found very impactful was, um, the idea that as people are approaching end of life, often kind of the scope of what's possible begins to contract. Mm -hmm. People may lose some mobility. They lose a certain amount of independence. Their choices become circumscribed. Mm Mm-hmm. And yet, if palliative care is done well, it can still allow people to have as much access to choice as possible. And that even within that more limited scope, people can still live really well 
mm-hmm. um, within what's available to them mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. if they're supported properly. Yes. You know, if you're listening to this, you may at some point be in a position where palliative care is suggested to a loved one or to you later in your life. We hope, we hope much later, but, um, but it's not, it's not a, it's not the bell of doom. It, it is hard. Mm -hmm. I'm not there yet. Someday someone's going to tell me I am eligible for palliative care if I'm lucky. Yeah. If you're, and that is one other thing is that, um, all of this is said with the addendum if it's available if it's to available you or someone that you know yeah um, um, which unfortunately it is not always um, depending on where you live yeah um, but yes I think people associate it with certain things yeah. that make it sound very scary yeah um, but as you said, and I'll be a little blunt here. It's not the bell of doom. Your diagnosis is the bell of doom. Yeah. Palliative care is. <laughs> yeah. Was that too blunt? No. Uh, you being a human being is the del- is the bell is of doom. The You're bell gonna of die. Doom. Like I'm sorry, listeners. <laughs> yeah, you You're are gonna die. <laughs> um, I'm gonna die. You're gonna die. Yeah. We want to die well. Exactly. Exactly. Dying well is the best that one can hope for and that sounds maybe that's not exactly how I want to put that if we get to die well what what is more amazing than that yeah and every human deserves to die well yes and um I I just want to make a note to what you said earlier about availability that is true um here in Canada um, what we do is covered by um, public funding. Yes. And availability is limited by availability of volunteers, mm-hmm. which is one reason that was one of the things that really made me glad that I had chosen to. I learned that in my training, but I, I kind of wish I had, if I had known it earlier, that would have been a factor to me. Yeah. Um, and so I will say, if you are considering it, if you're listening to this podcast because you've been maybe considering, it's just... Just look into it. Maybe yeah. reach out and, and talk to someone at an organization. Mm-hmm. Um, I can say that the way I got started is um, I I signed, I signed submitted an interest form through Hospice Palliative Care Ontario. Mm-hmm. That's how I got started. And then the organization that I now work with was offering a training and I decided to sign up for the training. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you are thinking about it, um, it is a very great gift that you can offer and it does make that kind of care available to more people Mm -hmm. so it's worth thinking about yeah i'm also going to say that if you don't feel like you're ready to do it there is no shame in not doing it that is more than okay absolutely Mm -hmm. absolutely i thought about it for i think about a year and a half before longer actually yep Mm -hmm. Do we have time briefly for like Rebecca's etymology corner? <laughs> Let's do just it. Just to like, let me just see how long we've been um, talking here for. Okay. Just very, very briefly, I mm-hmm. wanted to offer um, the root of the word palliative. Ooh, please have you do. and I talked about this before? We have not. And I should know this, but I well, don't. Well, I didn't know it either. It mm-hmm. came up in my training. Someone put up their hand and said, what does the word palliative actually mean? And so, and the instructor didn't know. So we looked it up in class mm-hmm. and it turns out it comes from a Latin verb, palliare. Okay. which means to cloak. 
you have told have me Have I? This. Okay. I, have for, I had forgotten. Yeah, yes, no. but please continue. And, and I kind of thought that was really interesting. And in class, we talked about maybe that means it might have to do with like cloaking or masking symptoms mm-hmm. or pain. And I suspect that is probably where that comes from. Mm-hmm. Um, because a, a good deal of the medical aspect of palliative care is indeed pain and symptom management. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I... I I hear and get the the masking or hiding element of it, but to to make it a little witchy, mm-hmm. um, for me, a cloak is also like a really symbolic kind of garment, mm-hmm. and it often is something that we associate kind of with ritual or with magic, mm-hmm. and... Um, you know, it's almost like a like a boundary sort of around a non-ordinary kind of space like it can it can symbolically suggest protection mm-hmm. and um that within within the space of that cloak you are in a kind of non-ordinary reality that's a little bit set apart mm-hmm. and i sort of really loved that in relation to palliative care that there's this and it can be comforting as well you know to be to be sort of wrapped in mm-hmm. in like a beautiful garment that's warm and soothing and protective um resonated with me when thinking about what it is that we're that we're offering yep. in this work and and what it's intended to do i'm thinking of casting a circle right now yeah um and how yeah how it creates a space outside um that is powerful and that is liminal mm-hmm. and in which great energy can be moved and transformation can be achieved yeah absolutely that's you just put it exactly the way i (laughs) i I wish i had put it that's exactly right um and every so often in this work you do find yourself in that kind of space Mm -hmm. um i will say not often yeah but but yeah you do find yourself not often and i think that's a truism as well i think um I think part of me was interested in this work because of the liminal quality of the space near this threshold. A lot of the time it's very mundane. Yes. And that was a, (laughs) that was something that I had to learn. Um, Mm -hmm. and, and something that was, um, revealing to me. Um, I thought sometimes about, um, a saying that I have, that I has been like said to me as a Zen saying, and I haven't like, I haven't investigated whether this actually is true or not, but like maybe you've encountered this. It's like before enlightenment, chop wood and carry water. After enlightenment, chop wood wood and carry water. water. And it's not that we're (laughs) becoming enlightened doing this work, but um, I think maybe it's easy to have an expectation that you're going to be in this transcendental spiritual realm the whole time. And Mm -hmm. actually what you're doing is mopping someone's floor. Yeah. Um, But because you were mopping their floor they are in their home, you know, Mm -hmm. like you and a whole team of other people are enabling them to be in their home. And your part of that right now is to mop their floor. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think what, I think I was similar to you where I had that expectation, but the more I do it, the more holy those moments become. Um, Especially when you remember that there will be no other moment like the one you are in with them. Um, and so, yes, 
it is very mundane and it is very not at the same yeah. time. That has been, I think, one of the biggest things I've learned is the sacredness of the everyday, the sacredness of the mundane, even the gratitude that you are on your feet able to mop the floor. Yes. Is is a huge part of what you learn in this work and yeah, and as you said that like every even those mundane moments are holy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And every so often the door cracks open a little bit and the and breath of the other place comes through and it they, does. they say something to you to invite you there briefly mm-hmm. with them and then the door blows shut again mm-hmm. and then you're dusting their cabinets. <laughs> yep. And that is um that's the sacred work. Yep, exactly that. Do we want to get into our tarot cards? I think we better. I think we're I, we're at an hour, at an so hour. I think we should. I think we should start now. <laughs> yeah, um, and I'm and I'm saying that because actually, what we've just been talking about kind of um, brings me into the card that I Great. brought today, which is the Ten of Cups, uh, and I brought a very specific Ten of Cups. So generally, the Ten of Cups you see. Um, if it's fairly close to the Smith Rider weight, um, you'll see uh, a family usually uh, gathered under a rainbow and traditionally, or uh, some people interpret that to be, you know, like happy endings. You're going to get everything you want. <laughs> Everything's wonderful forever. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, and I was not taught that about the Ten of Cups. Mm. And, you know, as I was thinking about this card today, I also realized that I have not properly credited my tarot teacher yet, which uh, I feel like I should have done. Uh, I studied with Lindsay Mack, mm-hmm. um, who's, if you're actually interested in tarot and you're interested in um, the kind of tarot that is very present focused, um, is concerned with um, uh, proper diversity and representation, and also that is um mindful of trauma and nervous systems Mm. uh, I would highly recommend checking out their podcast which I will link in the description notes but it's called tarot for the wild soul if you want to just check that out wherever you find podcasts Um, the way they taught me about this particular card was that it is about presence it is about presence specifically with joy and wonder and they talk about rainbows and how they appear so briefly mm-hmm. and they're such um, a magical event that everyone almost always will like stop their car and get out of the side of the road and like watch that rainbow because you know it's going to be gone in a flash. Yeah. Um, and I actually take it a little bit further. I think it is absolutely about that. And I think it's also about full emotional presence with absolutely every spectrum of feeling and so uh, I will quickly discard uh, describe the card I have here this one takes it in a very different direction Mm -hmm. pictured we see a skeleton holding uh, a small child's skeleton Um, and there's this splash of black skirt across the card and also a red horse it's and really amazing. It's it's a potent card. It's spectacular. <laughs> um, it oh, it's from the Mary L Tarot, um, which I will also link. 
there are in the guidebook for this particular card there are two phrases that the creator uses um momento mori and momento vivere mm. which um, i'm sure you know but remember you will die and remember to live mm -hmm. so the reason i brought this card for this particular episode was I think we've, like you said, been very careful not to romanticize the work that we do. But when I really think about what is the root of what this work has given me, and also what I can give as well, mm -hmm. but I mean, I'm a person. I, I, I want to get something out of what I'm doing as well. And those two phrases just sum it up for me. Um, when we are in that kind of space with that kind of presence it cannot help but to change us and if we are lucky we can bring that back into our everyday lives um so it's funny that you mentioned that you often hear about gratitude mm -hmm. from clients I think that's the gift that this has given me is gratitude for every single moment and a reminder to be present with the life that I have left because I am lucky right now. I'm healthy. Mm -hmm. That could change at any moment, yeah. but I am, I have family, I have friends, I have really deep connections. Um, I am at a space where I, feel ready to become a parent. Yeah. I have spent a lot of my life due to disability um, in really bad mental spaces. Mm. And I think, sorry, I'm getting a little bit, maybe overly personal here, but I don't think until I started doing this work that I really fully realized just how amazing my life is <laughs> and that reminder to be joyful and to be present and to be in grief and rage mm -hmm. and all of the feelings and how much of a gift that is is um is something that i will get to take away from this uh and is maybe hopefully uh, some small piece I can offer to someone else as yeah. well. So that was the Ten of Cups. That's so beautifully put. I will always think about that now when I draw that card. Um, that's a perspective that I, I hadn't quite considered in that way. But um, when you tie the spectrum of the rainbow to the spectrum of the emotions being offered, um, mm -hmm. it reminds me, I, I think, a little bit of some of what we talked about last episode, which was kind of allowing the full spectrum of feelings into like our solstice observances or our holiday observances and how they're big mm -hmm. enough to hold all of them. And yeah. um, there's something really beautiful there about not shying away from difficult emotions so as to experience the fullness of every emotion. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because I do find that we do that when we dampen certain things. Yeah. We inevitably dampen all of it. Yeah. And if we 
If we are too afraid of the skeleton, we don't get to experience the ride on the fiery red horse, you know? It's yes. Like, um, that horse is like incredible. I can't stop staring at it. <laughs> oh my God. It is. It is um, just, uh, I wish I could describe this properly, but maybe we can, flamboyant? I we can link to it. Yeah. It's like flamboyant and like um, scary. <laughs> it's really good. <laughs> that too. It looks like a horse that is going to bolt and take you who knows yeah, where. It's, it's incredible. Um, yeah. But I really love that approach to that card. I was so, when you told me you were thinking about bringing the Ten of Cups, I was so interested to hear how you, what your connection with that card in this work was. And like, that's so beautifully put. Um, thank you for bringing that. I guess I'll dive in here. Yes, um, please do. So I was telling you before we started recording, I did something I haven't done before mm-hmm. on this podcast, which was um, I let the deck choose the card for me. Nice. And I was, I'm always a little apprehensive to do that because I don't know if you experienced this, but sometimes I think, oh, I'm going to pull a tarot card about this. And then I'm like, but what if it doesn't make any sense? And I'm just more confused than I was before. And I can't figure it out. And it seems like nonsense. Uh, I think you were speaking to every time I have ever pulled a tarot yeah. card. Yeah. I, I sometimes I'm like stymied by this, this like worry that the card I get is going to be so obscure that I'm just like, oh this isn't real. This doesn't make any sense to me at all. Um, but I decided I was going to trust the process. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm glad that I did that. So just to, you know, first talk about the deck that I am using. Um, I'm glad you just acknowledged your teacher. Mm-hmm. I have had a similar realization, which is that I have not acknowledged my tarot teacher either. Mm-hmm. Most of what I know about tarot, I had the privilege of learning from, um, a wonderful tarot reader and artist, and witch named Monica Budirsky, um, who I had the privilege of learning from. Um, and from her, I learned so much about tarot and about witchcraft and about life, um, and indeed about um, work in the territory of death and dying. She is someone who um, saw that interest in me and cultivated it and offered me some opportunities to engage with it that I am tremendously grateful for. So. Um, in the spirit of acknowledging mentors, you know, Monica has been a big mentor to me. Mm-hmm. And so when I knew that we were going to be talking about this topic of um, hospice and palliative care, I went to her tarot deck, which is called the Shadowland Tarot. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a Smith Rider Waite style deck that Monica created um, with her wonderful artwork to specifically to be a resource to help people engage with shadow work, engage with working with the things that are scary mm-hmm. or hidden or that we don't like to acknowledge or that, you know, scare us or turn us away. Yeah. Um, and I thought, I just can't think of a better deck to ask about palliative care mm-hmm. and end of life. So I asked, I just said, what, what aspects of this work could I bring forward in this conversation? So the card that came out is the chariot. Ooh, we're in a chariot year. Are we in a chariot year? We're, yep, 2023 is a chariot. Oh, wow. Yep. Okay, well, very appropriate. Um, not a card that I would have thought on my own to be connected to this work. Mm-hmm. However, in this deck... Mm-hmm. I really, when I saw the card and started to look at it, I thought, okay, this is making a lot of sense. So just to briefly describe it, um, the chariot usually figures, um, features a person, um, 
holding the reins of two creatures who are pulling the chariot. The chariot is usually coming toward the viewer. It's kind of coming out the front of the card. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes there's a, a white creature and a black creature or a light creature and a dark creature. Um, in this case, the creatures are two spiders. Um, they're very cute, I have to say. Oh, they're adorable. <laughs> they're, they're delightful spiders, but they're still spiders. So already mm -hmm. we're kind of dealing with you know a creature that kind of represents something that lots of people have an instinctive fear of mm -hmm. um and and there's no um physical chariot that they're pulling instead the figure on the card is standing they have one foot on the back of each spider mm -hmm. they're wearing beautiful little red boots which is sort of a motif throughout this deck often when there is a magical practitioner mm -hmm. uh, in this deck they are wearing red boots like this I had never put that together before, but yeah. yeah. They, they, next time you look through this deck, take a look for red boots because they, they continue to show up. And um, the for me, the most striking feature of this card is that the chariot driver has their hair over their face, mm -hmm. over the front of their face. That's also a motif that shows up a couple times throughout the deck. Yep. From reading what Monica has written about her deck and from hearing her speak about her deck... This is symbolic of someone who is entering into uh, a secluded space to be on an inward or spiritual journey. Ah. Sort of similar, actually, to how we were just speaking about a cloak. Yeah. There's some, there's, you know, we have some awareness that perhaps this is um, a practice that people have engaged with throughout history to enter other worlds or other kinds of spaces, other kinds of mental or spiritual spaces to cover your face, to separate yourself from the outside world so that you can access mm -hmm. an inner world or an other world, an altered kind of place. Yeah. Um, and so for me, seeing that on this chariot card tells me that this is a card about being on an inner or a spiritual journey. Mm -hmm. And... For me, it connects back to what we were saying a little bit earlier about walking on a path beside our clients, but not, not driving the direction of that mm -hmm. path. Because the other thing that seems evident to me in this card is that this person can't see with their physical eyes where they are going. Yep. There is a degree of trust in the, mm -hmm. uh, in the spiders. There's a degree of trust in the, the creatures drawing you forward to get you where you need to go mm -hmm. um and they are letting themselves be guided along that path while being in a space of looking inward and being connected to a different kind of reality Ooh, i love this i really really loved this card mm -hmm. as a, a connection to um to what we've been talking about and to doing this kind of work. There's a lot of motion in this card. Mm -hmm. And I liked that as well because I think when considering being with someone who is dying, we envision a lot of stillness. Mm -hmm. And there often is a lot of, of physical stillness, but that can obscure the fact that it's actually a very dynamic kind of space. 
a lot is moving and changing internally for the person that we're with. Mm-hmm. They're often engaged in a process of reviewing their life. They're often engaged in a process of doing what they need to do to leave their relationships in good working order. Mm-hmm. They're engaged in a process of determining you know, what's going to happen to their things, their physical possessions. Mm-hmm. Um, they're engaged in spiritual reflection and indeed sometimes struggle Mm -hmm. it can be very active and so the 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 dynamism of this card seems to me to be really actually appropriate here when you encounter someone at the end of their life sometimes they can be in a place of really profound change and this is a card of change it's a card of going from one place to another place Mm -hmm. when people are are dying it's not like everything's all wrapped up. Sometimes people can can undergo some of the most profound transformation of their lives mm-hmm. at that time. Yep. Again, if they're well supported. Yes. Um, this chariot driver has, and you know, driver is maybe not the right, quite the right word here. Um, chariot passenger, chariot. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> rider. Rider, um, maybe. They have a wand in their right hand, and the wand is pointing toward the sky, which is suggesting a connection with with a spiritual realm. Mm-hmm. Um, it's in the right hand, and I, I have read that things that kind of appear on the right sometimes indicate that which we're conscious of. So yes. it's maybe inviting us to be conscious of that connection mm-hmm. um, while still having our feet close to the earth, mm-hmm. you know? Um, like we were saying earlier, it's not all, it's not, in fact, it's rarely like explicitly spiritual when we're in, when we're in that kind of context. And yet mm-hmm. that, that subtext is always there. Yes. So I loved this card for this topic. And, oh my um, gosh, I did too. Yeah. I, I really, um, I found this really fruitful to, to consider in, mm-hmm. in a, in a context of palliative care. Mm-hmm. Um, and I will say that this deck overall is, every detail of this deck is extraordinarily carefully considered. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I usually find readings with this deck to be just very rich, but not obscure. Yes. You know, they're, they're clear, the symbols make sense. Um, they're very, very carefully thought out and the artwork is wonderful. So um, I know we both are fond of this deck. <laughs> very fond, yes. Um, if you're looking for one... Highly recommend. Yes, yeah. great, great deck for beginner readers as well, and I would an say incredibly yes. dense book. Not dense, difficult to read, but like rich, full of detail, mm-hmm. very, very full of information. Much more so than a standard book that comes with a tarot deck. So no, it's not your little white book. It is not a little white book. It's a big, thick yellow book, and it's mm-hmm. excellent. So, <laughs> um, yeah. So the chariot. Oh, I loved that. Yeah. Um, I like that we both brought cards that on the face of it you wouldn't necessarily, um, yeah, wouldn't necessarily like jump right to. Yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess I was thinking as I was considering what to bring that like there's something about like the whole of life that's in this work. And so like every card in the tarot has some relation to oh definitely to doing this kind of work. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, the whole spectrum. Yep. All of it. So so we could talk about any card in the deck in relation to palliative care or end of life. Um, mm-hmm. But I like these ones that we that we chose. Me too. Me too. 
Ah, well, this feels like a really good place to wrap up our conversation. I think so. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, we will, uh, we'll come to you on the dark moon as always. And, yeah. um, and then we'll see you at the next dark moon. Yes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we, yes. we don't have like a good like closing wrap up yet, do we? We do not. <laughs> we like, do not. Okay, well we're done. Bye. <laughs> Rebecca, I enjoyed having this conversation. I also with enjoyed you. having this conversation with you, Sarah. <laughs> as always, I look forward to next time. Me too. All right. Um, take good care, everyone, and we'll see you again in another month. Yeah. All right. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.